right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 119, that's where we'll be this morning. We're going to cover verses, just so you're aware, uh, 25 through 56. 25 through 56. Last week, someone was like, oh man, is he going to take that whole chapter this morning? And so they were a little worried and very relieved when I cut off at 24. So I thought I'd just save you the stress and anxiety ahead of time and let you know we're done today at 56. A couple announcements as you guys get there in your Word and your Bibles. Men's Retreat, we've got flyers out there. Please grab one if you want to get signed up. need you to do that, uh, if, especially for lodging. That's the big thing, which we've uh, which isn't that big of a deal for us, but for the guys that are coming from out of town. Several churches coming together for this men's retreat. It's not just us. It'll be um, a couple churches from St. Joe as well. And uh, so that'll be out here at Mazingo. And that's all the information's on here. If you need it, grab it and uh, just take your phone and snap the QR code. If you don't know how to do that, you can just go online and and uh, and do it there. Or, or just tell me and I'll figure out how to get you signed up manually. You you techies out there. Um, Calvary Kids Camp, sign up. 67 spots available. I just want to keep reminding you of that. Um, I think we have, we're up to 30. Is that right? About 30. So we've got some room, obviously. But if you could get those in as soon as possible, our deadline is June 18th. So you've got several weeks. Um, but the sooner the better. Um, and then everything's out there on the flyer, as well as your sheets that you're going to grab and fill out for your kids. That's all out there. So that's going to be a great camp. I'm looking forward to it. August 2nd through the 5th is that camp. Anything else? Okay, yeah, today after second service, we're having another meeting on the Easter presentation. We'll kind of get, we're going to get going on it, you know, and that we've been talking about a lot, but we're going to start making the path and starting building the, the locations for the walkthrough and all, um, and, and talk about some of the, the products that we're going to need to build those things. So that'll be today's meeting. Uh, tea night is ten, is ten, is it tonight? Tonight, sorry. Wow. Um, uh, there you go. Uh, ages thirteen to eighteen here at the fel- at the church. There'll be dinner and kickball and games and a Bible study and, and everything. So, anything else? That's it. All right. We'll pray and we'll get into the word. Lord, we thank you for your this time we get to have um, together, fellowshipping and and singing and praying and now. We're going to let your word do what it does best and change us from the inside out. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, the, the person holding the sword of your word and working in our lives and touching us where we need to be touched, each, every one of us, individually. Have, we have different problems, different things, different praises uh, all going on in our lives. And you know about all of them. And uh, maybe nobody else does, but, but you do. And uh, we trust you to do what you need to do in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 119 is all about God's Word. It's an acrostic psalm. We've been talking about that. Every eight verses um, is about one letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, some things I've been thinking about, and I'll try not to get too hippy-dippy on you uh, this morning, but God is working out some things in me and showing me new things and, and all, and um, I was thinking about, uh, we have a, uh, a secular term, um, a pop culture term, which always gets me in trouble when I use those, but I'm going to do it anyway, that we call like the matrix, you know, they can see the matrix. It's some sort of, it's the idea that you can see 
clearly what's really happening as opposed to what's appearing to take place. Okay. Don't need to see the movie. Don't need to dig into that any further. It's just, it's the idea of seeing things clearly. Um, who, uh, who's kind of techie on, a, on cell phones and knows what it means to jailbreak or break a, a cell phone? Does anybody know how to, can, can you explain that to someone? Someone just say what that means. No, not break a cell phone. No, I know you not do that, Greg. <laughs> to release it, jailbreak it. Anybody? Well, suppose you order one from Sprint, but you want to use it for another carrier is what I'm talking about. Well, you can do that. Oh, my goodness. Can you do it, though? No. No, no. (laughs) See, this is why I don't open it up to the floor. It can be done. You can jailbreak it. That's the idea. Throughout God's word, he tells us over and over again, I want you to listen to me. He who has ears to hear, I want you to take in my word. I want you to eat it like you would milk or like solid food. I want you to let it affect every area of your life. He begins to talk about the word of God in such a way that it's a material thing. It's a, it's a medicine of the sorts. Not like a philosophy, not like Nietzsche or any of these others, men and women that just write what they think about the world. He's saying, no, I want you to take my word into the deepest part of your heart and let it do its work. It's the sword of the spirit, he says. It cuts between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. It's a discerner of the hearts and men. God's word is way more than just a book that you find at the library. It's way more than that is the idea. It jailbreaks us, is the idea. When we look at the world, for the most part, we're looking at the material around us. And we all know, and he says, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. I've got all of that. This is all me. This whole creation is me. I've got that. What I want you to focus on is what? Godliness. I want you to focus on me, you see. For the most part, we manipulate the things around us. We, have, we pick spouses, we pick our homes, we pick our jobs, we pick the clothes we wear, we decide whether we're going to eat, whether we're not going to eat, whether we're going to get bigger, whether we're going to get smaller. We make choices like that, but we're just manipulating the matter around us. It has nothing to do with the character and it has nothing to do with the heart of the spirit of the person. That's where this touches it's way more than just changing our circumstances around us. It's more than that. He takes the biggest chapter in the Bible and talks about one thing and all the benefits of that one thing, and it's God's Word. There's a reason for that. It's that important. It needs to have the most important place in our lives is God's Word. It needs to have the highest position Not as something to be worshipped, but as something to be ingested, to be digested spiritually, to let it do what it's supposed to do, to let us break free from these things that distract us so easily. The person living in in New York in the smallest apartment can only dream of that time when they get all that land they're going to have one day and and get out of the city and do that. But I'll tell you what, the person in the country living that life is thinking of the same thing. Both are distractions. 
the small apartment, or the gigantic ranch can be distractions from what's important, and that's where and how you're going to spend your eternity. Neither of those things matter. Neither of those things should be goals. God's Word brings us into that place where we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on and not distracted by what the world wants us distracted with. Okay, a little hippy-dippy this morning. I'm getting... I just want you to take this in as to more than a Bible study, something to memorize, but something to use, to ingest, to, to take God's Word this morning like medicine and understand the effects of it in your life and how it changes you and what it'll do for you and why God emphasizes it so much. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. We have lots of words that describe that heaviness word in Scripture. We can call it many things. It could be grief, um, sadness, depression. Lots of things talk about this heaviness. And I think we use one more than the other because, uh, especially nowadays, we use a specific word to talk about heaviness because it, it oftentimes garners more attention in our lives. But everybody gets sad. Everybody has sadness in their life. It's not necessarily clinical problems. It's just sadness. But we like to, you know, I notice that with migraines too. I've got a migraine. Do you really have a migraine or do you just have a headache? You know, kind of thing. Migraines are debilitating. There's flashing lights. There's nausea. There's a, well, no, not like that. But I can feel one coming on. You mean you have a headache. When he talks about the sadness and the heaviness that he's feeling, my soul is melting from it. His solution, the medicine that he prescribes to himself as well as anybody reading this psalm, is God's word. I want your word to lift my sadness. I want your word to take away this heaviness. I want your word to bring me out of this. And I'm going to do this by meditating on your wonderful works. And I'm going to learn about your wonderful works by reading your word. Because you've documented these things. Now, is it that we're just supposed to go back and have good memories of good things that have happened to our past? Or is there something mechanical happening Spiritually speaking, when we read God's word and meditate on the things and the faithfulness of our Lord, is there something taking place in us? I'll give you an example. There's a story, and many people call it, but I did for a long time. Oh, it's a bunch of bunk. I think is that the appropriate term? Playing classical music to your plants. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Hippy dippy. Well, it's not so hippy dippy. It isn't about the classical music. It isn't necessarily about the music, but there's now scientific proof analyzed, which I got to have before I'm going to buy into this stuff. I'll use that word instead. I want to know that this stuff is real and not just some guy's opinion or uh, what we'd say an anecdotal story about their plant that grew six inches when they listened to classical music. Okay, I want to thousand plants. I want to have a control group. I want to, I want to know. Okay. 
Well, it turns out there's a harmonic resonance in classical music that isn't found any place else. And so that's why they use classical music, and that's why that works the most. The harmonic resonance actually opens the stomata, which is the breathing apparatus of the leaf. That makes sense to me. Hitting something with a sound wave, a certain frequency, causing it to just pop open a little bit, that makes sense. Now, mechanically, I can understand in my mind why the air is going in and out of the leaf a little bit easier, because when you played the classical music, even though the guy on the radio didn't know what he was doing, he was actually hitting the right notes, hitting it with the right frequencies that would open the stomata, allow that to take place, and of course, the plant now, granted, What's around that leaf matters. What it's breathing in makes a big difference. You could fill it with car exhaust, and I don't think your plant would do so well as it breathes that in and out. Probably get sick and die with the carcinogens around it. But if it's surrounded with what it's supposed to be surrounded with, and it's breathing in what it's supposed to be breathing in, maybe. I can buy into that. I can understand then why they say play classical music to your houseplants. It's good for them. I need more than that, and now I have it. What if God's word works like that for us? What if singing these praise songs isn't about singing praise songs because we're supposed to, because God expects it, or because that's the right thing to do? But what if that prepares our hearts to receive, to open up, to receive the word of God that we need to? Now, what comes after the song is very important, isn't it? We may be open to anything. You can go to a rock concert and be open to a whole bunch of stuff and come out of there not a healthier person. But what if there's something to that? What if the writer here of Psalms understands something, which he does, the Holy Spirit is the writer. I want you to apply the medicine of my word, and I want you to trust me as the great physician physician, that this is what you need to get healthy spiritually. This is what you need to do. Nobody understands this verse. You can't tell me that you do. I believe it. That God inhabits the praises of his people. What? What does that mean? He inhabits. He lives in the praises of his people. Does that mean like because I'm talking about Mick, Mick is now lifted up? Like suppose Mick passed away. Sorry, Mick. But then I talk about Mick next week. Does Mick live on because I've spoken about Mick? Is that what he means about his word or is there something far more important about it? I inhabit the praises of my people, he lets us know in his word. Now, whether I understand the mechanics of it all, do you think it's important for me then to praise the Lord? If he inhabits those praises, that's where I want to be and I want him here. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I begin to sing. That's important. I don't know how God's word works. I know how it works at first. When you get born again, you just start reading the word because you're told to. And a lot of people take medicine that way. I, I'm so, I was so surprised when I worked at Rogers Pharmacy. Now, you know what this does for you? I don't have any idea. The doctor told you to take it, and you don't know what it does to your body. Mm-hmm. You just told me to take it. I'm going to take it. All right. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of trust. Yeah, I want to know what's happening. What, what happens when I take this chemical? What changes in my body? What does it open it up? What does it close up? What does it kill? What does it help? You know, I want to know all that stuff. And some of you are like, eh, fine. When I was a born-again believer, when I first got saved, they told me to read the Word. So I did. I read the Word, and he says, I want you to believe my Word. So I did. 
And as I'm getting further and further along in my walk with the Lord, I'm starting to understand now. It's almost like you get a degree in spiritual medicine as you read and you study and you absorb and you let it affect you and it changes you from the inside out. I'm saying all this because it's that important this morning what we're doing here. The Word of God is everything. You cannot separate healthy spiritual lives from God's Word. It just cannot take place. It has to be. He says, I'm taking in your word. I'm hearing you teach me your statutes. I'm meditating on those things. And doesn't it take that? You got to meditate. No matter what subject you're studying. Yeah, I read that in the text. I don't understand it. I, I know it, but I don't know it. And so you think about how that works. You, think, you wonder why that works. And you meditate on these things. And, and that's what it means to know it. Not for the test, but you know it for life. You know? That's the difference between just reading God's Word, memorizing God's Word, but meditating on it causes you to know how it works and lets it work in your lives. And he does that. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your Word. I know that's what's going to pull me out. Verse 29. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. He wants lying to be taken away from him. I think that's interesting. Some of these prayers that he offers up in the next few verses are asking God to do to him, to make him do things that he doesn't necessarily want to do, which is a strange prayer for me. I've always had a hard time with that. O God, Make me help me to want to praise you. I thought, what a what a mean prayer to ask somebody. Can you imagine going up to your wife? Oh, Jenny, I just pray that you talk me into loving you more. Thanks. So I've always had a hard time praying that to my God. Oh God, help me to want to read your word. Okay, you know you don't want to read it. Not really. It's boring. It's dry. I'm tired of it. You know. Could you make it more exciting? Could you make it more palatable? Could you make me really crave your word? I thought, what a mean prayer to pray. And yet, this psalmist doesn't have a hard time doing it. Remove the way of, of lying. Remove me. I don't want to be in that way anymore. I don't want to be a liar. That's, that's part of the problem with our world is, is the deception, you know. It's the, um, I guess that's the best word, the deception that's around us. And every time I lie, white lie, black, I don't know what the opposite of white lie is, the harsher lie, bad lies, big lies. Either way, it's deception. It's just deception all the way around. And, and the world does, doesn't need any more of that. We've got enough of it. And so he says, I want to move that from me. I want to take that away from me and, I, and grant me your law graciously. There's a ton of Bibles in this room right now. We sang a song this morning about how uh, you know, the, the path is narrow and few who find it. But the, but the mercy is wide. The Word of God is very um, present here. Not only written, but in our hearts, but written. We've got Bibles back there you can grab. A lot of you have your Bibles open or following along. In the, it's very readily available, but even in that case, very few find it. They don't walk the path. 
They, they know where the path is. They're holding it in their hands, but very few people take, take it to heart and actually, well, I'm going to do it. That's what he's talking about. The path is only narrow to get to heaven because, well, just few people find it, he says. But it's a readily available. Jesus was readily available to all those people. But by the time he's done, there's only 12 that actually sticks with him after he says some hard things. 12 out of the thousands that were fed by his hand. Saw the miracle take place, experienced the miracle, lived the miracle. I was there when the five loaves and two fish, you know. They've got a story to tell about that time they were uh, picnicking with Jesus, you know. But when he started saying hard things, they just walked away from it as if it could be walked away from and they'd be okay. The word of God is readily available, but very few people find it. It is the truth. It's the only truth. Anything outside of God's word isn't truth. And so then, therefore, I walk in the way of lying when I'm not obeying the truth, when I'm not hearing the truth, taking it into my heart. I want you to enlarge my heart, he says. Make it bigger. I want to encapsulate more of who you are and share it with more and more people. You know. Verse 33, teach me. He asked God to teach him, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me, he asks him, understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and do not uh, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which um, I reproach, which dread, which I dread, basically. For you, your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Several times there, he asked God to do something to him. Teach me, give me, make me, incline, turn me, establish me, turn me again. Revive me. I want you to do those things in my life. That's an admission of need. I think it's very important for us to admit that to the Lord. That's why he does it. I admit these things are in your hands. I've tried in the past on my own will, and so many people do. I've just got to try harder. I've just got to do better. I've just got to do it again and again and again and more and I keep failing, and after a while you get tired of the failing, and you get tired of asking because you're embarrassed. God, I'm asking you again for the same thing I asked you for 20 times before. But he wants us to admit that we need him. He's trying to develop (laughs) what the world would say is bad, codependent. God very much wants us to be codependent with him, very much so. I do not want you to be independent. I want you to be codependent. I want you to rely on me and to know that for these things to happen in your life spiritually, it comes from me. It doesn't come from anybody else. You can't get it anywhere else. Those satisfying feelings and those satisfying moments only come from spending time with me. God will teach you. He will give you understanding. He will help you walk in his path. He will incline your ears. 
incline. <laughs> if you look over there in your center column reference, if you don't have one, it's good. Cause me to long for, it says. Cause me to long for, incline. It's a pretty honest prayer. That means I don't long for it. God, I pray that you cause me to long for your testimonies. And I pray that we would pray that. I hope that we would pray that. And that those are okay prayers. For him to do those things in your life are vital. Verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me. That word reproach there is taunts me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. Another very honest prayer. I pray that as the world taunts me for believing what I believe, that you would keep your word in my mouth, and that's what I would speak to people, and I wouldn't be ashamed of you. That I won't be ashamed of Jesus. That I won't be ashamed of the salvation I found in him. And I won't be ashamed of his word. I will continue, regardless of the taunts, regardless of the reproaches of this world, I will do this. Speak you. Speak your word. I want that. The, the writer is simply saying, I'm afraid I won't. Even Paul did that. When he, when he wrote to the letters, wrote the letters to the churches a couple times, he says, I want you to pray for me that I might have boldness. We've gone over that several times here. It's a funny prayer to pray or, <laughs> or ask someone to pray for you, especially Paul. We know Paul. He wasn't shy. But you get beat enough times. You know that when you walk into a new town, what's probably waiting for you there, you choose rocks or sticks, you know. There could be one of those times, and maybe he even had fleeting thoughts as he walked in. You know what? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut this time. I'm not going to get broken here, you know. To not open myself up for the harm that's going to come. I think that hurt him more than anything. I think sticks and stones literally broke his bones, but he didn't care. It was the rejection of his countrymen that broke his heart. Oh, Israel. That's what broke Jesus' heart. Riding in on the donkey. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you under my wings. He's about to be killed by these people, crucified. He knows that's coming in about a week. And his heart is what breaks him and causes him to weep is that the fact they're not going to believe him and they're going to reject him. Paul prays for boldness. We all need to pray for that in our lives. There are people in our lives that are just, we just as soon write them off, honestly. We just as soon leave them in the rearview mirror because every time I come in contact with them, every time I try to do whatever it is that you try to do, I get nothing but hurt. Everybody has that. You're not alone in that. Maybe you thought you were. You're not. Every single person in this room has people in their lives that's like, you know what? I'd just rather not see their face today. And yet the prayer for us here this morning is, Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. I have to trust that if God's word is working in my life as I ingest it, as I take it in like the pure milk that it is, if I chew it like the solid food that it is, if I know that it affects me, it's got to be affecting them. 
It has to be. And there's nothing else I can say to them that would affect them greater than God's word. And I need to know that in my heart. The medicine the world needs around me, close friends, relatives, and strangers alike, they need God's word. That's the medicine that's going to help them. That's what's going to cure them. That's the thing that's going to work and change them. And he knows that, and he prays that. Verse 44, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. I mean, forever is long enough, but to say forever and ever, that's it's emphatic. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty. There's a little one there. Center column reference if you have it. Verse 45, it means in a wide place. When I'm at liberty and I have the truth of God's word coursing through the veins of my life, I'm at liberty. When I'm lying, when I'm in shame, when I'm in darkness, when I'm hiding in my sin or hiding my sin from others, that's when you're limited. That's when you can't go places, see people, say things. That's when you're confined. That's very narrow. That's a restraining life. That's why he says, I'm here to break you free. I'm here to set you free. Some of us think that means a a free from addiction, and that's part of it. Because that's sin and that causes us to be constrained. But it's so much more than that. I can walk up to absolutely anybody in this world, provided I'm prayed up and I'm in the right place in my heart, like this guy is, and I'm not afraid of any questions they might bring to me. I don't care if it's an atheist. I don't care if it's what's currently going on in our country, as far as misunderstanding who you are as a person. I don't care what it is. I have such confidence in God's word. I have such confidence in the work that he's done in my life that doesn't matter where I go, I can talk to them. I know exactly what they need. They'll have bravado. They'll have their arguments. They'll have their things. But like, that's what I'm talking about, that matrix thing again. I can see beyond all of that because I know God's word. I know your heart. I, I know that you're, you're very scared. I know that you're in a dark place. I know that you're defending because you think it's going to save your life, but I know exactly what you need. You're going to need love, compassion, empathy, understanding, but more importantly, you're going to need God's word. You're going to need the truth, and it will set you free. I absolutely know for a fact that it will. (laughs) Um, Mike McIntosh talks about a time way back when he first got saved. If you don't know Mike McIntosh, he's a, a senior pastor in San Diego, California. He got saved during the hippie movement, and he was on acid at the time. He said he came into Chuck's church. He felt like half of his brain had fallen out. That's the condition he was in. He was in that kind of trippy place with the acid that he had dropped. And he received Christ as his Lord and Savior and was restored. Now, Mike's still crazy, you know, 10,000 people at his church, but he's still a loon. And I love listening to him. He talks about this time where he had this Bible and they're walking on the beach and Richard Nixon, the current president at the time, that's how long ago this was, was up at his place there with secret service. And he says, I really feel like Richard needs this Bible. So he goes thinking fully, he's just going to walk in and hand Richard Nixon a Bible and tell him God loves you and you need to read this kind of thing, you know. Well, he gets there and the Secret Service says, thank you, we'll give it to him, you know. how it, And then he walks away. And I always heard that story. I'm like, who could have that kind of reckless abandonment? Who could have that kind of boldness, that kind of, no. 
That's everybody here. If you know that Richard Nixon, regardless of what the world calls him or what he's been made into, is just a person, a man with a soul and a spirit who's going to die and leave this world naked as he came into this world, you know exactly what he needs. Regardless of guilt or innocence, every person needs God's word. They need Jesus. And he might do that. I don't care who it is. I'm just going to give him God's word. He's a man. You know? We're at liberty to go into any room, into any location in this world, and have an answer for everybody in that room. He knows that. When I keep your law continually forever and ever, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings. I will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Making promises, you know, making vows here publicly. He's so excited for what God's word's done for him. He's so thankful, so grateful for what his word has done. That he makes these great boasts about how he's going to live his life. And he does, honestly. The writer of Psalm 119 does exactly that and lives his life that way. It's not like he didn't keep his word. It's not like one of those promises, God, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll devote my life to you. You know, He just does devote his life to him and does it. You don't have to know the mechanics of it. You don't have to know how it works. But you do have to believe that the physician who's giving you this medicine knows what he's talking about. And if you take it faithfully to its full prescription... Don't cut it in half. Don't quit when you start feeling better, which happens to 90% of people. Oh, I got this rough time in my life. I better. Oh, things are better. And they just, no, 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 no. No, not only is it medicine, it's also the substance that keeps your soul and your spirit alive. It's milk. It's the word. It's as, it's as important to read this as it is to eat your next meal to keep your body alive and healthy. Verse 49, remember the word of your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation, indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who who forsake your law. Now, I circled that only because he's upset because he knows that they know it's the answer. And what bothers him is they just stopped taking the answer from God, and it makes him upset. Why would you do that? And I feel that way about myself. And I'm not going to point to people in my life, although there are many people in my life that I get indignant about. What do you, why, why are you not walking with the Lord anymore? I don't understand that. It was working so well. You were on a trajectory I mean, you were skyrocketing in your life from the pits and the depths that you were in. And and you just, with reckless abandonment, took God into your heart and received him as your Lord and Savior. And you were reading his word. And you were were doing so great. What happened? It doesn't make sense to me. Now, then I look at my own life. And I run into the same problems. Even as a pastor. I don't have to study till Saturday. I don't have to study till Tuesday. 
I mean, I really don't have to get into God's word until, well, you know, right before I get up there kind of thing. No, dummy. <laughs> no. The reason you have joy, happiness, and the, the reason things around you are peaceful is because you're in his word. Not because you've lucked out and got the lottery. Not because you've, uh, not because of the people even around you. The people around you are the way they are, a joy to be around because of God's word in their life. You're a joy to be around. I'm a joy to be around when I've been in God's word. I'm not a joy to be around when I haven't been in God's word. And that affects everybody around me. You ever been around someone who's been sick? Not sick, sick, like deathly ill. I don't want to go there, but like the flu. They're not the same person, are they? You know? Oh, your stomach hurts. You feel like you're going to throw up and that nausea. You're like, that's like the worst in the world. Give me any kind of sickness in the world. I don't care if it's a cold, you know, upper respiratory. I'll cough and hack myself. It's not the nausea. I just hate throwing up, you know. And I know that. So when I feel that nausea, this is my face, you know, around everybody I know. And everybody's empathetic. They love me. They want me, but they want me better, you know. Please don't be like this the rest of your life because this is not fun for anybody. Now, I know that you're going through it. I know that something's happening to you. You want to help you. And we're here to serve you. But it's been a week. It's time to get better, you know, kind of thing. You get outside of God's word for too long, and it just does. They'll put up with it for a while. They'll help you. They'll carry you. They'll understand. But after a while, what you're going to start hearing from other people is, when was the last time you were in the word? When was the last time you were at church? When was the last time you prayed? Well, I don't need that. You do more than you think. Because we're all getting tired of it. And our faithful Father in heaven is very blunt with us when it comes to these things. To think that you can go on without me, to think you can go on without my word, is foolishness. And I'm going to tell you to your face that it's foolishness. You need my word in your life. It's healthy. It's what makes you strong. It's what strengthens you. It's what changes you from the inside out. To think that that can happen any other way is foolish. He's not being mean, but he's not going to cater to the sickness that's been brought about by your own unwillingness to take the prescription that he's given you. Have you taken the medicine I've prescribed? Verse 54, and we'll close here. Your statutes have been my songs. In the house of my pilgrimage, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. That's what I circled. This has become mine. Oftentimes, God's word is something you hear from other people. You've seen it applied in their lives, and you think it's like a philosophy that so-and-so is trying to give you. Until you read it on your own and you begin to study on your own, you begin to just take God's word and you and him by yourselves, and begin to study and let him teach you these things, it becomes yours now. Paul says that several times. I I, I preached to you my gospel. What do you mean, York? You mean Jesus' gospel? No, my gospel. Paul had applied the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, to his life. It had become his gospel. It's my good news. The good news that happened to me in my life is this, Jesus Christ. And now I share my gospel with you. And everyone in this room has 
their gospel or has the ability anyway to share their gospel. It's not different than the gospel of Jesus. It's just been applied to your life and now you own it. He calls it a pilgrimage. It is. Everybody that was of any consequence in Scripture that was a believer in God always understood their life to be temporary. I'm here on this earth as a pilgrimage. My goal is not to make it here. My goal is to make it there. I think if we understand that, we'll understand the importance of God's word and how he's preparing us, opening us up. Singing songs to God are important. Prepares our hearts. Helps us to see the world as it should be seen, not as it wants to be seen. It puts everything in priority for us and keeps everything in its proper place. You know, it straightens everything out. And that's where we close this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We've sung praises to you, which have opened us up to whatever you had for us this morning. We even prayed that, God, give us whatever you have for us individually. And then your word has now come into our ears. And if we've had ears to hear, they were open to it. Your word is now changing us from the inside out. It's affecting us. We're meditating on it. We're chewing on it. We're letting it do its work. And we thank you for being such a, a wonderful father, such a great physician that you're faithful to prescribe exactly what we need this morning. I pray that we would. Wouldn't hide it under our tongues. Wouldn't spit it out later. But we'd let it do everything that it was intended to do this morning to affect every area of our life, every cell, Lord. I pray that you bless these people today. You have with your word, but I pray that you bless us with the same things that this author has prayed. Make us, cause us, lead us, teach us all the things he asked you to do. We pray the same for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you before you leave. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.